The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
good morning and happy Easter, everybody. If you were all here, you would be wearing your Easter bonnets. So I'm going to momentarily put mine on, which is a tribute to this particular Easter, which, if you can see, is when Stanford will be in the women's finals. So I wish you all a happy Easter, happy NC2A celebrations. I hope you all at home happily wearing your Easter bonnets or your bedhead, your Easter finery, or whatever makes you most comfortable, most full of peace and joy this Easter morning. And blessings in the day, whatever it means for you, a gathering outside with family or friends, maybe even mask-free if you are not vaccinated and can be indoors with a small group, just like old times. I also want to name that some of us are not with people that we love still. On these holidays, sometimes we are particularly aware of who is no longer walking this earth beside us. I want to hold out this morning a prayer for Ben Rudiak Gould's mother, who's very sick, and for all others of our loved ones who are sick and who we're holding particularly in our hearts this time. So welcome this Easter. I have a particular welcome, I want to say, to Ruth Cowan and her family. Ruth has been resisting live stream, but we have a huge shout out to Ruth's daughter, Ellen, and her son-in-law, Christian, and Ruth's grandson, Julian, who have been staying with Ruth and have talked her in slowly into live stream. And so it's so great to have you all with us this Easter. I feel like every time we talk to people, we find out who is joining the party that happens on Sunday. And Often they're people we know, and so it's nice to know that we're together. And sometimes, almost every week, there's someone who has, well, like a party, come in through the back gate and maybe sat around the fire pit in the backyard and who we didn't know was there until they tell us. And it's always a joy to get to know who is at the Sunday morning party and to hope that you'll find other ways to kind of enter in and be part of the community. We're so, so grateful to have you all here this morning. I want to thank the flower committee who also supplied the bunny ears so that we have at least a momentary reminder of some of our favorite Easter Sunday finery. To Amy Kelly, whose bunny ears are on loan this morning, and Athena <clears throat> Papadakos, and Carrie Steer Salazar and Judy Payne, who have made the flowers possible. Of course, to everybody who has made this Sunday possible, who makes it possible every week, to Reiko Oda Lane and also our guest trumpetist, uh, Tom Dambly, this morning. It's not Easter without trumpet, is it? To our singers who are off in our music wing, to Michelle Kennedy and Brielle Marina Nielsen, to Ben Rudiak Gould, to Asher Davidson, and to Mark Sumner, our conductor and pianist for making the beautiful music this morning possible. I also want to thank those who are with me here in the sanctuary. Meg McGuire, our intern minister, Eric Shackelford and Julie Ong on camera, of course, Jonathan Silk organizing and orchestrating all of it, and Joe Chapeau and Roberto Delau in the background making sure our chat and our building 
And today, also Dan Bernard, who is stewarding and working with the Tenderloin Tessie people who are getting ready to feed hundreds of folks an Easter supper. So the building is full and so are our hearts. Welcome to worship. I wanna just point out one other thing which you may have noticed. Meg and I, John, uh, Eric, can you see, show everybody the writing on the masks? Or do I need to come closer? Yeah. So I know all of us have been upset by the rising anti-Asian violence that's been particularly present in California and the desire to respond, and we have gone to rallies, and we have raised money for organizations that are serving both Stop AAPI Hate that has been monitoring this. We supported them early in this pandemic when the anti-Asian violence was rising. I've been trying to think creatively and ask people what they think we can do to be a witness, and this was one idea. Since we have to wear masks, can we make them a way that we share our values with the world and speak of the love for our neighbors, all of our neighbors, but particularly to stop the anti-Asian hate that's going on in our city and in our world because our neighbors, our loved ones, our family are being threatened and hurt and afraid. And it's not okay. And so how do we start a tsunami of love and a resistance to that hate and the message that it won't be tolerated? If you have ideas about how to make this mask better or ways to and where to get one printed that maybe fits a little better so it preserves our health more than this one actually probably does, I would love to hear from you. You can e email me about this through info at UUSF. Dot org info. Simple to remember. Let's figure out a way to respond and make our values known and our love known and our resistance to this hate and violence known. However we can, let's figure out a way to do it. I look forward to all of your ideas. So, let's do what we have been doing every week since the beginning of this pandemic. Let's light a candle that honors symbolically all of you, your gorgeous presence, brings you in spirit into this sanctuary. Until we are together in body again. And so, so we begin our worship, a service where we will talk about hope, this four-letter word, one of many, but one that is particularly both sweet and gritty, a verb, a choice, a perfect topic for Easter. Let's begin this conversation and worship with hymn number 270. It's in your hymnal, it's in your order of worship, which I invite you to download if you haven't already so you can sing along because the words are there. Day of light and gladness. Let us sing together.
of our unison chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. In your order of service that Vanessa mentioned, you'll find not only information about today's worship and our hymns, but also a list of upcoming events and offerings of this community. Opportunities to connect with other people, to learn and practice, and to take action with our values. So I hope you'll read through and consider joining anything in particular that calls to you. I'll draw your attention to just a few things right now. Today, after worship, the forum is hosting a panel of speakers from Hand in Hand, an organization which brings, brings together employers and allies of domestic workers to act in solidarity with worker-led campaigns and to share resources for fair employment. The panelists today will discuss current challenges and priorities for domestic workers, including nannies, house cleaners, and other home care attendants, and also what support those folks are asking for in this time. 
Also today, after worship, you're invited to join us for our Zoom coffee hour, which happens just about every Sunday after service, where in addition to the chance to connect with friends and meet new folks in this community in small groups, there is a special breakout room these days led by Donald Matusen to discuss today's sermon. There will not be an eighth principle breakout room today or next Sunday, largely because we're encouraged to join the eighth principle town hall, which is happening next Sunday, April 11th at 1 p.m. So if you haven't already joined an eighth principle coffee hour breakout room, or done some reading that's come out from our task force, or even if you have, uh, consider joining members of the task force to learn more about the eighth principle and what it means for us here at UUSF. This past week marked the formal end of our annual operating fund campaign, but our work isn't over yet. As you remember, the campaign is an especially important one this year. We expect that rental income will be down in the coming year as a result of the ongoing effects of the pandemic. And we want to keep the ministries of this congregation strong as they have been. So a special thank you to all of you who have already gotten your pledges in. And thank you to all of you who've made generous additional gifts that have helped us get closer toward our goal. Together, we've already raised over $750,000 from 184 households, but we've still got a ways to go. We're still aiming for our goal of 900,000, a goal that will help cover lost rental income in the coming year. And there are still some 62 member households who have not yet pledged. So if you're among them, thank you for getting your pledge in as soon as possible and for giving what you can. If it's possible for you, we hope you'll consider an additional one-time gift so that UUSF will have the resources to thrive through the end of this pandemic and beyond. You can log onto our website right now if you want and click the pledge button. Joe Chapeau will put it in the chat and it just takes a moment to do. Thank you again for your generosity and your commitment to this community. And one final note this morning, our offering today will go to Faith in Action's COVID Relief Fund. Faith in Action is a community organizing network of people of faith and clergy, and their COVID Relief Fund, called the Belong Emergency Fund, was created last year to support undocumented people in particular who have been impacted by this pandemic. Donations this morning given through UUSF are eligible for a three-to-one match from the, the Hinckley COVID relief funds. You can learn more about Faith in Action, their Belong Emergency Fund, and the Hinckley Fund in your order of service, but just a heads up for now. So I invite you to join me now as we deepen together into this morning's worship, singing our meditation on breathing. The words are in your order of service, and you can listen through a time or two as our song leaders lead us through, and then join in, and then let yourself sink into your breath and this time together as we sing it through a few times. When I breathe in, 
faith, as you know, is not creedal. There's not a set belief statement that we all assent to. But instead, as a non-creedal faith, it's the promises that we make to one another, promises of the heart about how we will be and what we will commit to together. That's the core of what holds us as a religious community. Those promises, they're articulated in lots of different ways. Our seven principles and the eighth principle that's up for consideration, that's one covenant of who we are. And another are these words printed in your order of service. I invite you to say our promises to one another together. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps, for the hundreds of children still separated from their families, and all people who are still held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances in what is a repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history, fueled by xenophobia, racism, greed. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and our responsibility for that as citizens of this country rings out clear. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 76,547 people died of COVID-19 globally. 6,117 in the United States. We hold in our hearts all of these losses. All who have lost people they loved dearly and all who are still very vulnerable to the disease. We hold in our hearts those nations where medical care is taxed to the brink of its abilities and with devastating consequences. And all who await the fair global distribution of vaccines that to be fair will require a muscular commitment by the wealthy nations of this world, ourselves among them. Finally, we ring our gong for the places mired in Good Friday struggles around the world this week. The people of Myanmar and their fight for a democratic and compassionate government against violent crushing of opposition and our own Asian American loved ones, friends, neighbors, afraid to walk the streets of their own cities and towns. Yet again, targets of a history in this nation of violence and dehumanization of people of Asian descent, with all the permission for evil that such dehumanization gives license to. We hold all of this this Easter Sunday when we speak particularly of the hope that dawns in every place of pain and struggle. And we pledge again to keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers and to commit again 
May we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
that anthem suggests that hope is not always hard won, but sometimes also abiding and generous. That it can be a revolutionary grace that rises up from within us and all around us in spite of all we think we know. That it can point us to the possibilities that are always already there, right within reach. To the yes, buried somewhere deep inside us each, that might turn us back back to the most abiding cycles, back to the earth with its blossoming and decay, back to the humblest seeds that with care, attention, may yet grow into something miraculous, if we remember to behold them that way. As we enter into a time of sacred silence, may we turn our attention, this most precious resource we have, to those buried potentials, those humble seeds, toward those silent yeses inside each one of us. Spirit of life and love, on this Sunday morning, may we pay attention enough to be startled into awe. May we remember to imagine the sacred possibilities just below the surface. May we find the courage to cultivate life that is alive. And may we go forth this day with a deeper gratitude for our shared abundance, with the fortification to both enjoy and to renew these gifts. May it be so. Amen.
I want to thank you all for the generous offerings you have made in the last few weeks. Your incredible pledges with additional gifts, if you're able to give them, as so many of you have dug deep to be able to do. And then each week, we've been asking you to give a great gift to support our neighbors who are doing, still doing, doing the work at the end of this pandemic, spirit willing in the creek don't rise, the end of this pandemic, to support people who are struggling so much now, especially. The last few weeks, you have given over $1,000 each week. We have sent checks for $5,000, over $4,000 with the help of Hinckley to organizations. And today, today the offering will be split between the church and Faith in Action and its COVID relief efforts. And the Faith in Action portion, again, will be matched three to one. Thank you in advance, out of the love of our neighbors, for your generosity. Our offering will be given and very gratefully received. Praise of Dandelions by Diane Corbin. 
I admire dandelions. They rise up unbidden, dotting the lawn with spots of gold. You can't get them out, for every one dug from the earth, legions sprout in their stead. They stand up for their right to be where they choose, defiantly yellow in the grass. They are subversive, taking back their wildness from the cultivated bluegrass, audaciously disrupting the mode evenness. When dandelions turn from gold to gray, they send their daughters on the wind to reclaim the feral earth. Here ends our reading.
think when all this is over that the bonfire of next Easter Saturday will be of masks and we'll all find our ears are a half an inch further forward than they were before it all started? <laughs> are you having lots of reflections about when it's all over lately? I talked to a colleague this week. She had just gotten her first shot. And I asked her what it felt like because I'm always curious how that moment feels for each person. She said to her it felt remarkably ordinary, strangely ordinary, just a shot. And momentous too. More than for herself, though, what she was struck by, she said, has been the strange experience after every person in her life, in her church, gets a shot. She said, I feel like three pounds gets lifted from my shoulders with every vaccination I hear about. Three pounds. She and I agreed, three pounds that you don't realize you're carrying until they're lifted from your shoulders. It feels like a great metaphor for so much, I think, that's happening for us these days. A series of pounds lifted from our shoulders that we either didn't know we were carrying or didn't know how heavy it was to carry them because we've been holding them for so long. And with the lifting, there is the release and the joy and the freedom of movement, of body and spirit. We can laugh a little easier in that moment, begin to dream again. But there's also a strange heaviness that many have been feeling. Me too. Like, in the wake of all that unclenching, we can begin to feel how tired we are from all of it. It's like a bit more severe case of the cold that I always used to catch after finals, the one that made you realize just how much stress that run-up to the end of the academic year was, how little sleep you were getting, how much stress your body was under. There's all that, and in our case, there is the dawning realization, too, I think, of more of the scope of what we have lost a year. So there's some more mourning to do, and grief is exhausting. It's not quite a Good Friday world this year. Last year, Last year, it was more of one, all fear, all bracing, all landscapes of loss to look ahead to. This year, for those of you who know the Easter story, I might say it seems to me more like you and I were those exhausted disciples who are at the tomb of Jesus when the sun rises. The rock has been rolled back, but it isn't 
quite clear what it means yet. There is disbelief and the blinking of eyes, the stunned new reality that will take them and us time to discern and take in. Heck, they are still in their mourning cloth. And so are we. And maybe we are beginning to thaw, beginning to feel again, and maybe beginning to make sense of what we've been through for ourselves. Experts say these days that you and I, we need to give ourselves permission to have things feel fuzzy, for our brains to feel off, for us to be at a loss for words, and our emotions to feel sometimes strangely raw, other times completely shut down. In this time when we are unpacking the year and beginning to put it away. Things we have come to know. We're starting to make sense of them, I think. Some of that making sense for me has been around hope. The experience, the idea the challenges of it. Emily Dickinson, she wrote that poem that we heard a musical rendition of this morning right before Meg's time of prayer. That piece about hope, the title of the poem, it's the same as the first line of the poem. It has hope in quotes, like it's some pretend thing, some thing without reality, which is a bit how the poem starts, I think. It starts with, hope is the thing with feathers that perches on the soul. The poem starts with this metaphor of a bird implied that she'll later explicitly name. The poem starts with this thing called hope, being all light and airy and flitting and darting about. It starts out the way, that way, the poem, but it doesn't stay there. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches on the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard. And sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea. Yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope, the poet implies, is a bit deceiving. It can seem all feathery and light, but it is fierce, too. Showing up in the hardest places, storms, bitter, cold, strange and faraway places, when and where things are rough. It sings its tune into the gale winds for you to hear beyond them, within them, and the poet says it asks nothing of us. I think we've learned a little bit about hope this year. 
Liz Strand, who's a member of the church and a chaplain, among other things, she mentioned at a meeting not so long ago how she had read recently about the Stockdale Paradox and how it was helping her. Named for Vice Admiral James Stockdale, sorry, the Stockdale Paradox, if I said that right, who was a Vietnam veteran who was awarded the Medal of Honor for his duty who also spent, as many of you know, seven years as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. The paradox named for him, it's the pithy summary of what helped him to survive the ordeal. Quote, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, he said, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Stockdale would tease out more of what he meant in his description of it, how those who were imprisoned with him, who were too optimistic at first, who were sure they would be home by Christmas or the first Easter, they were the ones, he said, who had the hardest time surviving the ordeal physically, spiritually. He said he never lost hope that he would come home. It wasn't ever that. But knowing what he did of war and the circumstances of that moment in time, he was less optimistic about the timeline of his liberation. And that, paradoxically, helped him to survive. It's an interesting lesson, isn't it? How hope and faith in a hope can actually be hard on us emotionally and spiritually if it's not grounded in reality. Because if it's not, then it's dashed again and again on the shoals of a false optimism. I think we who've been through the last year, we, we know that feeling. Liz named it for the power of it for her during these times. I think we all learned how to be temperedly optimistic, to stoke the fires of hope, but not too hot, not anchored in too quick a fix, to get used to the slow burn of hope that we kept alive in us until a day we knew when a vaccine would, cope, would come, trusting that it would come, but not anchored to exactly when. And even now, if you are at all where I am, your current hope is tempered about when we will completely pull out of all of this. Not that we will, but when. Because we know how sly and cruel viruses can be. How much they too are pulled forward by a life force. And this one hasn't entirely waved the white flag. Hope has been, is vital to our long-term health through this. But a patient and a pragmatic hope for sure. We've learned a lot about hope. 
I think we've also learned that hope may involve some cooperation to give it a chance. When Dickinson wrote, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me, I think she meant hope that spark that's lit within is given as a gift, as a grace, you might say. And though nothing is asked for it in that moment, I would definitely say that the wisdom of this time has been that something is often asked of us to make it real, to make real on hope's promise, or as my husband sagely puts it, hope, Vanessa, is not a strategy. We learned that for sure this year. Our hope of making it through the pandemic alive required a lot of strategies and committed actions toward them. Our hope of staying connected to one another as a community, as a church, it required enormous learning curves and elbow grease too. Our hope that none would be left to struggle unnecessarily required improvising phone trees and raising money to help those we knew with rent and other needs and volunteering at improvised outdoor food banks and connecting with and supporting those groups as we are doing even today, groups that we knew were getting help where it was needed in the city, where it was needed most. Hope. When it's given, it doesn't require a strategy of us. But strategy helps us make good on it. We've learned a lot about hope this year. We have seen and felt this year how Sweet it is to hear that song of hope in the gale winds and storm. How important it is to learn to temper false optimism, but be able still reasonably to keep hope, honest hope, alive. How we could put our heads down and learn new habits and walk through the hard holy weeks, if you will, of the journey of our lives, full of loss and hardships and disappointment and fear. If we knew, if we had hoped that there was some Easter dawn waiting for us, and we did all that. And so not surprising that this Easter morning, in this dawning Easter time, we are blinking a bit in disbelief at where we may find ourselves right now that maybe the storm is going to end as we'd hoped. We have lived as good an argument as can be made for the hope that is as tenacious as the dandelions we read about in the poem this morning. Insisting on its place in the order of things and refusing to be mowed down by circumstances. And we have learned as clearly as one could be taught the central importance of our need to be partners in that hope wherever it is asking to be alive in the world, right? Wherever, because we have seen the power and the beauty and the necessity of it.
But I would be remiss if I didn't say one more thing I think we have learned about hope this year. And that's this. You and I, we have seen how some bad luck or the unequal distribution of rights and privileges, especially when it shows up in life circumstances, job circumstances, a birth that bears the real life disadvantages of inherited disenfranchisement, and there are those things. And where all of those disadvantages show up most predictably connected, as they so often do to race or immigration status or tied to a host of human prejudices and sins. How all of that can make, could make the right to hope an insistence on hope a cruel venture for some. How certain inequities in our world made good strategizing not possible or not nearly enough to make hope, reasonable hope, possible for many. Fourteen people in a small apartment living that way necessitated by poverty, a density that also meant that those who left to take their low-paying jobs essential to our survival, but not essential enough that we would protect them from infection while they were doing them, that those people would inevitably, unavoidably, come sick with a virus, and come home to an apartment where quarantining was impossible, and so death was impossible, too. In that apartment, hope is a battered song at best, but it needn't be. It needn't have been. We learned this year, again, the fierce power of hope to carry us through the storms of life, but it's the power of real hope, hope with wings and possibilities that carried us through. And so maybe, maybe what we can see now in a particularly clear way is that hope, real hope, is a right. That we all have a right to it. And certain hopes in particular, the human hope for some life that is abundant in the largest sense, but when we come down to brass tacks, that means a fair chance to survive to succeed, to be free of fear, to have health care, to have a grounding education, to be safe in your neighborhood, to not be targeted on the streets and beaten for how you look, and let's be clear, for your race. And so much more, the right to food on your table and work that is safe to go to.
that tenacious hope that we love, it's a right, and it's our work then to strategize together as a nation, as a world, for how to make that hope real. We've learned a lot about hope this year. Because some of our neighbors, they will meet this Easter, the rising sun with hearts that are not so easily healed. And together we could have stopped the carnage, but it wasn't a band-aid fix to do so, and it won't be one to do so. It will require the sole fix of a nation. And the truth is, I'm not really sure whether the Easter story, the way it's told, is maybe a little bit misleading. I'm not sure resurrection is inevitable. I think it's still a choice we have to make to partner with it. I think resurrection is a strategy for keeping hope alive, our commitment to it. And for that clarity of purpose this day, for a recommitment to that work after this year in this world, after all we have been through and still face for all of that, for that I will sing alleluias this Easter day. I love you all. Happy Easter. Blessings to us all.
and now in our comings and our goings. May the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace, for this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Happy Easter. of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.